0: Welcome back to Staircase to Nowhere, your ministry and culture podcast. I'm Sam Carroll here with my friends, Noah and David. Say hi, Noah and David. Hello, hi, everyone.
1: David. Oh, my gosh. You, David. David, you do this every week. <laughs> and it's always funny. It keeps the. Get people... to laugh 10% of the time.
0: <laughs> every time. We're so glad that you are tuning in with us today. Um, we're excited for our conversation. I'm really excited for this conversation down the road. We're going to be talking about um, pastors and how much money we should pay them, or if we should just pay them in coupons or good memories or-, or what the heck.
1: Uh gifts in heaven.
0: Or gifts or treasures in heaven. But before we... Before wait, we get wait, to wait. Pastors get paid? <laughs> Some goes, of them. <laughs> Some of them, my friend. Um, Before we get to that conversation, I wanted to make an announcement. It's not really an announcement. That's not the right word for it. Just say something about Spotify's new commenting feature. Um, If you haven't had the chance to shoot us an email at staircasepod at gmail.com or just like hit the little reply button on Spotify, we encourage you to do that. Interact with us. If you do use the feature on Spotify, it can be kind of misleading. It looks like when you go to post, that it's going to post publicly for everybody to see what you commented. But that's not true. That's not what it does. It just mm-hmm, sends mm-hmm. us a little message with your comment so we can read it. Um, so yeah, after it, like if you want to go back to other episodes or just comment on this one, if you have thoughts or feedback or pushback, we'd love to hear it. Um, so I just wanted to put that plug. We usually throw it at the end of the episode, but I usually don't listen all the way through to the end of podcasts. What? So why would you? Well, I cut off like the last 10 seconds or 15 seconds. I'm like, all right, I know this is done. I know they're about to wrap it
1: up. You guys
0: guys listen all the way, like till the outro music ends. David's shaking his head. No, thank you. No, No, I I don't want
2: to hear the ad at the end.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> these people who listen to our podcast don't know that we don't have an ad at the end if they haven't That's listened true. to the end oh
0: Noah, they know we don't have an ad at the
1: end <laughs> <laughs> well they they expect that we must have been sponsored by now yeah by now. Well, will,
0: we're usually good to the last drop though i will say we're, we're i are i do wonder
1: like do we have any listeners yet who don't know us personally if you, like, just found us on Spotify, would you just respond and say, like, Hi, I'm listening. I'd really appreciate that because that I That would
0: think, make my week.
1: Yeah. I If I found us on Spotify, I would go, Oh, my gosh, there's other people who are talking about things that we talk about. Well, of course,
2: <laughs> I would what because... What about the opposite, though? Because you're it's you. Me. <laughs> How about we <laughs> okay. do the opposite? So the people, our wives and future... I mean, um... <laughs> have to tell us that they're listening so then we know oh we've had yeah. 16 listeners this week we've had
0: 16 responses okay there we yeah. go you're actually engaging anyway so that was i just want to get that out of the way but we have an actual announcement
1: Are announcement we're
0: to, announcement we're dropping announcement. merch we're dropping oh, merch in
1: no. the and the, um, the the merch says somebody, pastors shouldn't so, get paid and no, no, no. you can buy uh, it for 29.95 all the proceeds go to Oh, us. that's a
0: steal. $29.95? No, that is not what's happening. Merch is not dropping. But <laughs> Go somebody, to Redbubble. Somebody did drop to one knee uh... this weekend on a beach and asked a very specific question to a very lovely lady. Ladies and gentlemen, our good friend Noah <laughs> got engaged this week. What? Man, yeah. we just want to congratulate you, scream it from the rooftops, we're so happy for you and Rebecca, we love you guys, I've never actually met Rebecca in person, <gasps> met her once over the phone, it was great, but... I followed her yeah, on man. Instagram. Yeah, we, have, we follow each other on Instagram now, so that's, we're friends. That's about as close um, as you can get. As close as you can get these days. But wow. yeah, man, congratulations from, from us and all of our faithful listeners, we're really happy for you guys. And we want to hear all about the story. Tell us how it happened. Tell us what went oh. down. How'd you ask? What'd you do? Did you cry? Did you kiss? So tell that us way, everything
2: in forty years, you can tell your great great grandkids about how yeah. you and their great great grandmother got engaged.
1: And no, I oh. said forty
2: years. So you got to get to work.
1: Yeah. Oh, that yeah. is fast, isn't it? To have great great grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> so. If you are a faithful listener of Staircase to Nowhere, you first heard of Rebecca in the last episode when I just let slip. I saw Jesus Revolution with Rebecca, and you boys said, wait, who's Rebecca? Not that you didn't know, but that the people didn't know. It's
2: called it's <laughs> called trying to get get some interest.
1: <laughs> Sparking interest. So I took Rebecca to a jewelry store. We looked at rings. And I bought one. And I got... We went on a road trip over Easter break, which seminary gives amazing breaks, by the way. Yeah. Like, I highly Shout recommend. Southeastern yeah, work. you can get a full week off for spring break in March and then another week off for Easter break for some reason. So we went to Florida twice, and I'm <laughs> not even mad because I had the best week of my life. And so I got that ring, and I planned to propose to her in Florida. The plan that I had changed and I had to last minute on the fly come together with how am I going to propose to her. And I got to do it at the beach, Flagler Beach, mm. where we went on our first date. Shout out Flagler Beach. Where I asked her to be my girlfriend. Ooh. Just a mere 15 months ago, 15 weeks ago. 15 months,
2: 15 <laughs> no, it weeks. Sure it sounds like you, you have a child if you're counting months.
1: Yeah, yeah no, uh. this this child's measured in weeks. This is a fetal child. <laughs> mm. So, uh... <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this story is going very weird. But anyway, <laughs> I asked my sisters to come. Uh, Hannah was in town from Indiana. Natalie came in down from Jacksonville. And they uh, hid underneath the boardwalk. And Under and the boardwalk. We went to... Uh, the beach and uh, I asked
0: her to wear a dress, and she was like, "Why would I wear a dress to the beach?" And I'm like, "Oh, you did. Corner. You asked her to wear a dress. Erica asked specifically, she was like, "How did Noah get her in a dress? How did that happen?" And I was like, <laughs> "I think it just happened, but you asked so I said
1: I said it just so casually, "Hey, would you want to go to the sunrise?" And she's like, "The sunrise, you never wake up." And I'm like, "Yeah, you know, I'd like to see it once." And so I was like, we can go to Flagler beach. You know, it's where we, Wait, you mean to day. tell me the sun rises every day. <laughs> I just need to see it once. Um, you know, just like, you know, being like, um,
0: um, yeah, you gotta do it. Say you did it once just so you have it. I just, you gotta just gotta go it sure once. That myself, way you, you have, have it. Yeah.
1: I, I said to her, uh, then we can get brunch afterwards at the same, um, place we went on our first date. I didn't look up. That restaurant does not open until like noon. And so that was not an option. What kind but of brunch like, place like, doesn't open at noon? Uh, That's we'll like dress place. up nice. It's not a brunch place. I just assumed they had no. breakfast. They don't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, we'll dress nice. Uh, you wear that red dress. It's like the red dress. Why? And I'm like. You know, we're just gonna we're gonna look nice at the beach.
2: I legit was about to ask that. I was about to ask that question. Did you tell her specifically what dress?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that dress, and uh, so yeah. And and I wore shorts, and she's like, "Why do you get to wear shorts?" And I'm wearing a dress. I'm like, "Well, if I wore pants, you could wear pants, but the your the shorts are the (laughs) you know. I'm not gonna wear pants." So Rebecca,
0: wear your khakis to the beach. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: We're wearing our khakis. (laughs) Wear your
2: best power suit to the beach.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So we're sitting there at the beach. She offers me one of her mom's hot cross buns, which is her Good Friday tradition. Did I mention it was Good Friday? And uh, yes, it was. The hot cross buns are the tradition that they eat. They're homemade and delicious. And she offers me one, and I'm like, no, not right now, because I was so nervous and anxious, I just couldn't eat it right then. And I'm just sitting there, just like all this nervous energy, just like kicking my foot around. And then I get a text from my sister Hannah that says, on the left. I'm like, on the left? That's what, Sp- that's what Spider-Man says. What, what, <laughs> what, what, what on the left? So I'm like looking to the left. Rebecca sees me looking around. She's like, what are you looking at? I'm like, <laughs> the left. Snipers. We're <laughs> watching for snipers. Yeah, I don't even say anything. I just have no i have no good answer. And I'm like, let's go take a walk over to the left. Because there's uh, these fishermen. I don't want the fishermen in our pictures. And so I'm about to walk her to the left. I stand up. She's like, taking a sip of water, repositioning her bag, like moving so slow. And I'm freaking out because I know what I'm about to do. Little does she know. And then I see a flash. And I turn around and I see my sisters sitting under the boardwalk. And I go, oh my gosh, they're not to the left. They're to the right. (laughs) I don't know why she takes me to the left. And so I said to her, let's go walk this way. She's like, I thought you said that way. And I'm like, yeah, this way.
0: I'm a confusing person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a seven. uh... Yeah, exactly. We go over. I walk like three steps and then I turn around and face her. And when I look in her eyes, her eyes are just screaming like, I know exactly what you're doing. And it's, it's more like, oh my gosh, are you about to really do this right now? And then I suddenly lose all my words. I have nothing to say anymore. I, you know, had spent the night before in prayer and journaling and writing her a note. And then I have nothing to say. And,
0: <laughs>
1: Mary uh, will, will you be? And so then I get on my knee and she literally. Wait, which knee? Which knee? Um, left down. Is that appropriate? Oh, that's good luck.
0: Ah! I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if it's not. True I just want the best for you guys, so I'm gonna make it. <laughs>
2: Let's make it a reality. How auspicious!
0: Yeah. <laughs> so
1: I uh, get down on the knee, and she literally jumps up and down and screams yes, which oh. made me just feel so good because I'd been so nervous and just like, like is this the right time? Should yeah. I have done this? Like all these things, and then just her excitement. I'm excited. I didn't even get to put it on her. She's hugging me. Like, the fishermen
0: are excited. <laughs> the fishermen don't even They give you a nice us. bass. Yeah.
1: And then we're standing there and she goes like, I don't even remember what happened. Like, did you get on your knee? I'm like, yes. And she's like, did I even say yes? And I'm like, yes. And then <laughs> I said, which is a good thing that I wrote you this letter, which has boom. all the things boom, that boom, I boom. wanted to say, but I didn't say right now. And she takes it from me and she says, this is so efficient. Mm. And I'm like, (laughs) um, I was looking for romantic. I was
0: going for romantic, but efficient works.
1: Efficient, yes. If that's what gets you going, girl, yes. Yes. So then uh, we go, we sit down. She reads the letter. I watch her reading the letter and I'm just like crying because like her face is like smiling as she reads it. And I'm just like talking about the gospel and about Jesus and Good Friday and how like because of him, like we can be a godly marriage and all these things. And, um, just that broken people like me could be a faithful husband and just like, beep, 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 tears, tears, tears. And, uh, then I tell her that there is two photographers here. And she goes, what? Oops. And I said, my sisters are here. And she, Turns around so excited to see them, and was so glad that they were a part of the day. And uh, then my sisters do a photo shoot of us, and giving us the space after the proposal before doing the photo shoot was my sister Hannah's idea, because she said that uh, when they got engaged, the photographer jumped right out immediately, and they hadn't even really processed it, and like we had such like sweet time just to process it and to read that letter. Because of her mm. saying, we're gonna give you 15 minutes. That's good. And go Hannah. yeah. I know you, you go girl. It was the best. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. and so for anybody
0: listening that takes that advice Vimo Hannah five bucks. <laughs> yeah, just, she
1: deserves it. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, my sisters left us and said, we're gonna leave you be and we sat on the beach for another hour and texted everyone we know and sent them the photos. And uh, my phone was not sending, and her phone was sending. And so we had a couple awkward scenarios where people thought that, like, like my friend Adam, his wife got a text from Rebecca, and he didn't get a text from me for an hour. And so he's like, I just thought you didn't want to tell me. And I'm <laughs> like, no, I, I
2: texted you I immediately. Didn't. No, <laughs> I did not want to tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I so. didn't even notice. Then we spent the day just with our families, celebrating, spending time with each one of them. Our families live close to each other, which is a huge blessing. So we just got to sit with her family, sit with my family, go to Good Friday service, worship Jesus together. It was the best.
0: What an incredible
2: day. Cash money.
0: Cash money. Well, hey, congratulations, Noah and Rebecca. So excited for you guys. Um, When are you getting married? Yeah. When's the wedding? Literally. all the podcast people want to know yeah. it's in December <laughs> woohoo not everybody's yeah. invited so don't hold your breath <laughs> um, show up <laughs> just drive to Florida you'll find it I'm sure yeah. we'll have a podcast listeners wedding
1: um, <laughs> oh a special wedding just for podcast yeah, listeners we'll have a
0: special fan meet up somewhere come to
1: the, the podcast listener reception at the wedding for yeah. the oh, first too good <laughs> Yeah, beautiful well, story it is so fun because Staircase Noah fans Sam and David are two of my groomsmen are and so sure? it is so fun to have them I'm in it, you're in it, both of us are in it <laughs> <you know> <laughs> as what two of my best of friends oh man um, ock, it was ock. like
0: yeah well thanks for sharing Noah you're gonna make an amazing husband we're super oh, proud of you stop it and, no seriously um, stop it Yeah, you're about to cry. All right, cool.
1: All right, well, this transitions great into this conversation because I had a conversation in the car with Rebecca the other day about how I have always wanted to be a pastor since I was 16 years old. But through my classes, through the things I've been learning about, through learning about missions, learning about disciple-making movements around the world, I am not sure if full-time paid pastors is the way to go. Mm. Hold up. Whoa. And this kind of freaked her out a little bit. Because I was like, yep, all my career training is uh, for a <laughs> career that I'm not sure should be a thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on my master's in something that I don't want to be paid anymore. That I don't well, agree with. I,
1: I really do want to get paid from it. But I also look at things like the way that resources are spent in the church in the West and then like the results that we get. Like, I heard a, a number the other day, like, the average um, baptism in the United States costs, like, one over $1 million. Whoa. If you um, add up, like, the amount of money that's spent on church ministry in the United States and then divide it by the number of baptisms per year. We're whoa. looking at $1 million a year for one baptism. That is crazy. That's crazy. That's um, bad, okay? That's not going to get yeah. the job done. Meanwhile, around the world, you have churches with very little resource. Pastors who are just like everyone else and are, you know, scraping by like the rest of them. And they are serving their church and they're preaching the word and they're making disciples. And so is everyone else, you know, because they're not outsourcing the work to a professional holy man. And everybody is a part of this movement. And then the church spreads. And so, I want to see more disciple-making movements in which everyone takes responsibility, but often Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen when you do have a paid person that you can point to and say they're our full-time leader. And so, that's the conversation I want to bust wide open today, thinking about what we know about church history, what we know about our current context today, what we know about missions, what we know about the Bible and just consider, like, what what is a pastor? Did God intend an ax that it's people with a full-time salary and package and benefits? And yeah. clearly not an ax, right? But, like, is it a bad thing? Like, yeah, is, yeah. W- uh, is it the can... right thing? I don't know. Just help me out.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think to start interjecting here, maybe some nuance and for us to talk about even some of our like how we grew up, I know for me and Noah and David, if you want to share like your experience growing up in the church, because um, I don't want to. I'm there could be some people listening who we immediately lost. We're like, of course you need paid pastors. But well, to, yeah, all three of us have worked full time as as paid yes. ministers, just so everyone yeah. knows. All yeah, three of and, us. <laughs> yeah, all three of us have worked in the in different capacities in the church. All three of us have been educated by large Christian institutions. So, um, and I grew up. And I, Noah and I grew up in a huge church. Like, we grew up in a church with an HR department and, and 17 you know, full time pastors with, execu- with an executive team. Like, wow. so we, I'm, I am a product and I received like theological training and discipleship through an organization that was really big and that yeah. would not have been like, just wouldn't have existed without full time you know, yeah. paid staff people who had masters and doctorates and were well-paid because they did a good job at what they were hired to do. So like, um, just to say that, like, we're not, we're not coming from like, this is, we're, we're starting to have these questions as us as friends, honestly. So it feels like it's worth getting it kind of unpacking from maybe for some other people, some of the dialogues that we're having, the questions that we're asking, the things that mm-hmm. we're coming up in on our research and our experience that we're starting to go, um. Hey, is this is this the best way forward for us in the Western Church? Is this it, model the best one that honors the Lord and like advances the kingdom in yeah. a good in the way? So
1: it's a, it's a very classic staircase to nowhere question because it's looking yeah. at the Bible and it's looking at the Gospel and it's looking at God's mission and it's saying how do we best live this out today in our culture and time. And it doesn't necessarily have to be exactly the way that the last generation did it, Mm. you know. So, like, looking at all the generations that we've got and all the different contexts around the world and thinking about how can we live out what God's called us to do
2: today. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a a, a note I think we should go before we go on, is I've had people ask me, how do you get paid?
1: So (laughs) that's a good question.
2: So I think that's a good place to start. So when you boys were on staff at various churches, where did the money come from? Yeah, for your
0: pay.
1: Yeah. So uh, Sam, why don't you go first? Because yours is more traditional.
0: Yeah. So well, let's not forget. I worked at that giant at, at that big church in Naples for I was the fifth grade ministry director for a season. Yes. Like, so yeah So David, get this. I my job was the I was hired. It was a part time thing, but like I did the fifth grade class. Like, fifth it grade was that, only. Not not elementary school, but like I helped run programming for this fifth grade class. That was, that's, um, uh, yeah, it sounds cooler than it was. It was like a <laughs> thing. I don't know if that still exists or not. But I worked there. I don't know how money came. Well, there were tons of people at that church. Money came from all the people, whatever. But um, th- when I was well, so I think people don't know that. They're, they don't I, understand. I've, yeah. Oh. What
1: people uh, give to the church their yeah, offerings people to the Lord. Give
0: give money on Sunday morning and they say, Here Lord, here's my t- here's my tithe, here's my generous gift. Um, and that money gets distributed to the you know, to the staff and to the facility and to the programming and to the debt and to all those things. Um,
1: yeah, so the church creates con- the church creates a budget based on the offerings that it's received yeah. from its congregation, and that's pretty like the traditional way that churches are funded in the West, in, in the United States.
0: Yeah. And even just, yeah, like uh, this is, I guess this is a deep dive, but churches will come up with their projected monthly give, monthly give uh, monthly, weekly giving, like based on our projections, we are expecting people to give, you know, $2,000 a week. And then, you know, our giving goal is this much, our projected is this much. So this is how much we need. That's, I mean, that's just how churches work or like that's how they generally function. Um, And that, that same thing was like translated to when I was in Mississippi, but on a much smaller scale, I went from a church of thousands to a church of like, if we had 200 people there, um, the Lord is in this place. Like that would have been amazing. I think we, we probably had like 120 on a weekend, Sunday school and service and stuff included. Um, so just Which is still a great a small, size for a church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was it was really it was an, an amazing time to be there. And that was the same thing. Money came from um I lived in a parsonage. So I had my own Ooh. house that the church owned. Um the church owned the house and I lived right across the street from where I worked. <laughs> um so yeah, my housing was free because the church owned the house, and then I got paid a very, very modest sum to do <laughs> to do ministry in in a week in and week out. So,
1: Yeah. And so I've worked for a Christian nonprofit in which uh, it was fundraised. Um, And so we all were a part of the fundraising together. It wasn't that Mm -hmm. I just fundraised my individual salary, but that we all fundraised together towards the budget bottom line. So some people were able to raise larger amounts because they came from backgrounds that had more money. And then some people were able to raise smaller amounts because they didn't come from those backgrounds. But together, we all got paid. And then I worked for a church in which people did give consistently, but the church itself was not financially self-sustaining based on the giving of its members. And so we fundraised from outside sources, we applied for grants, and we were able to raise uh, the funds that we needed to have full-time staff and building and all that kind of stuff through multiple streams of income.
2: Nice. And that's what I've had some people ask me because I was a part of a denomination Do I get money from the denomination? Mm. So, and this is a conversation we're going to have in the future, talking about denominations. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah. And so, uh, to be a part of it, there is a financial uh, implication for being a part of a denomination. So... Uh, some churches, some groups, so you have like the Wesleyans or the Presbyterians or the Baptists or the Methodists. And there is a certain amount of money that is part of being part of that denomination. And I have had people ask me if I get paid from the denomination. Oh. uh, Or if the church itself gets some money from the denomination. And we do not. uh, In fact... We pay the denomination.
1: Yeah, it almost always goes yeah. the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so when we were United Methodists, we had to give them eleven percent of our budget uh, every year.
1: Hmm. And that's a requirement of the United Methodist Church.
2: Yes, and if you don't, you get in trouble. Um, oh,
1: it's interesting because the the in the Southern Baptist Church, it's a cooperative giving, and so. It's a choice to give a percentage to missions, church planning, yeah. all those things, keeping seminized. seminary costs low. But it, there's no mandated percentages, and they can't say anything to you if you don't do it.
0: <laughs> mm. yeah, I, the, yeah, I was a part of a church that they gave uh, um to that cooperative program. uh was not anywhere close to 11%. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we're here, but we don't want to be here. Here's some money. <laughs> like mm-hmm. to keep to keep us to keep us in good standing. Well that's bar. the thing
2: is some churches have a a massive budget, so eleven percent is not a small amount yeah, for some churches. That's a lot of money. Uh yeah. so for me, I I uh, I get paid from when the church when you have the church they pass the offering plate plate around in some churches or they talk about hey, here's ways you can give, just like how Noah and Sam yeah. already mentioned, it goes to the keeping the lights on. It goes to paying my salary. It goes to paying rent in some situations. Or, honestly, our biggest cost is insurance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, when you make a donation to the church, it pays for all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so, that's where the the whole conversation starts from is that's expensive to do that. You know, like I, I, I am the biggest part of my church's budget aside. You know, Mm. my, me being, you don't make that much money. No. Um, (laughs) but I'm half the budget of the church basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so the question is, and this brings us to the main question is, is how, you know, how do we go about this? Um, the professionalization of the clergy is the conversation we're having today. Uh, so no, you you did some research uh, about that. Like
1: probably, Yeah. Right? Yeah, so um I was researching bivocational ministry and bivocational is basically when pastors have another job. They have two vocations. They work as a pastor, but they also work in another job. David right now is under the title of bivocational pastor because he works for the church and he has another job as well. And so, um, and that's basically what we're seeing like in the new Testament, right? Uh, that's what we're seeing like throughout history where, like, you didn't necessarily work full-time for the church. This uh, article that I found said, even in more affluent countries, only in the last couple of centuries has it become more common to have one full-time pastor in one local setting. That it wasn't affordable until congregations started to have more wealth. We're talking in the 1800s, 1900s in affluent countries like the United States in the West. And so, historically, hasn't really been a thing too, too long. I mean, we can make an argument maybe that like Roman Catholic priests were like, that was their vocation and they had their needs met like by serving the church. We do have the verse when Paul says like those who do the work of gospel ministry should be able to like make their living by gospel ministry. So that's beautiful. Thank you, Paul. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which
0: I will, and like, just to say like that, that is in the Bible. But, and that is like the, that is usually the verse that is used to justify all pastoral salaries, right? Like if you're going to do, I shouldn't say all of that, but that's a very big verse that we use to talk about if I'm going to be, in how do we justify paying people to do full-time ministry? Well, those who do the work of the gospel should make their living by the gospel. That's what Paul said. Not to say we shouldn't do that, but as we're talking about, I just think that it's interesting that I think we could do even a biblical survey of like how... Um, how teachers and apostles and like different early church fathers like made their living and stuff.
1: Yeah. but I just wanted to know, I think it that's seems... an
0: interesting verse that is the verse is there, but it's, we use it as a v- springboard into like six figure salaries sometimes. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's our, it's our, it's our big proof text in this area that, yeah, yeah, we see, we see like that apostles got their needs met and we see even Jesus sending like the disciples two by two and like go into this town and don't take any money and let people take care of your needs. Right? So, like, we see that model, but we don't necessarily see, like, hey, churches should encourage all their members to give 10% monthly so that you can create a budget, whereas you can become a 501c3 and you can, you know, have uh, <laughs> have to have insurance and have to have a building yeah. and, like, pay your pastor's health insurance. You know, so, like, we've taken it to a level that, like, is a blessing, truth- yeah. truthfully, to, like, yeah. not have to work in any other area and be able to focus on just pastoral ministry but i think that sometimes it like sometimes we like lose the love of it mm-hmm. when we're getting paid to do it um i have a professor who says like the word amateur we think like not as good but amateur actually means in latin for the love of it oh like you do oh, it wow. because you love it you you don't do it because you're getting paid you know and i think that a lot of pastors like when like Uh, pastors are struggling or like uh, during the pandemic, so many pastors like consider like, should I be doing this anymore? Mm -hmm. Like if it's your livelihood, like all of that's wrapped up in it. It's like a lot easier to just kind of like fake it and keep going. than to like say like, I shouldn't be doing this right now.
0: The marriage between calling and career Hmm. is very, can get very complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Because Hmm. like, the, the thing, the if I'm, if you are called, well, this is kind of, I think this is at the heart of what we're saying somewhat. If you are called to pastor, you are called to pastor. If you mm-hmm. are called to teach, you are called to teach. If you are yep. called to fill in the blank with whatever the spirit has gifted you with, that's your calling re- regardless of if your career paycheck funds that. Yeah. If, regardless of if your paycheck funds that. And I think... Um, I think we've crossed some wires where some people are pursuing, uh, like get lost in a career because while they were in love, they had a calling, but they got lost in a career Hmm. or like they entered a career without ever having a calling because it's, because we do have this, we do have this, like the same way you become a pastor, unfortunately is the same way you might become an accountant is like, you Hmm. go, you you know, you go to school, you get these things, you do this stuff and you do that. And if you remove the, the calling from it and you just create this career path to church leadership, mm-hmm. then you've, I think this, I think that calling and career thing is really, mm. can get really dicey because, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, and we're
1: all called to make disciples, every believer of Jesus. Right. Yeah. And so then like, if you're now getting paid to make disciples, like, then other people might not think that they have a responsibility to make disciples. Yeah, You know, yeah. like, yeah. we are products of the Reformation who believe in the priesthood of all believers, that God has called every single believer to be a priest and to be a disciple-maker who is leading others to faith in Christ. And yet, it feels really easy to outsource when you have a pastor who stands from the front, and we get to sit in the pews and we just get to listen while they do the work.
0: Yeah.
2: I, uh, my first gig, I uh, was looking for volunteers for the youth group. I was the youth pastor. And I was looking for volunteers. And I had one of my parishioners say, why do you need volunteers if that's what we pay you to do? There it is! (laughs) Boom-roasted, David! (laughs) (laughs) And that's the exact issue we're talking about.
1: Right. Right? When, When Ephesians 4 says... That God has given apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, and evangelists, did I get them right? Not in the right order, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, right? So, the job of church leaders is not to do all the ministry. We're not the only ones who are called to make disciples, but we're called to equip the saints, which is all believers, to do the ministry. Mm-hmm. And it says so that we can become mature, so we can become unified, like, that is what God is calling us as leaders to do—to equip others. And I, I do see our pastors do that absolutely. Yeah. But I think that when we're getting paid to do it, it's easy for church members to believe that that's our job and not their job. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not to yeah don't want to don't want to just throw every paid staff member under the bus right now. <laughs> like you know, all of us have directly benefited like from having jobs and being discipled and all these things from people in those paid positions. But we, I think we just want to, we just want to have that honest conversation about like, well, what if we let's open this and ask, maybe ask some of the, some of the questions. Um, so do you guys think we could try? I would love to, if we could try, cause I could see how maybe you people could ask, well, like, well, like how did Jesus do ministry? how did these apostles do the ministry? How do these church functions? Like, didn't Judas? Wasn't Judas like in charge of the money bag or something? Like Ooh, they had yes. money. Like what is? How did how did ministry operate? Like in the context that Jesus was living in, and the early church fathers and the apostles were doing work in. Um, so I think that might be worth. I know I can I can throw share some things just from just share some, it share share um, so just Jesus and how rabbinical ministry worked back when Jesus was teaching what that word, very,
1: rabbinical
0: so how rabbis would go around rabbits? and how they would ra- <laughs> rabbits um Jesus this rabbi that called 12 disciples and was teaching them about this new kingdom right this this anointed one the Christ who said hey i'm this is the sermon on the mount stuff he he's coming and he has bringing a band of people and delivering this teaching that we have based our lives on and have committed ourselves to follow him. This first century rabbi, um, how rabbis would teach is they would go village to village and they would go and they'd bring their teachings into those places and people would host them in their homes. Like when it talks about how, um, like different women were funding Jesus's ministry. Like, so people Mm. like that means like they would give money, but they would also like provide lodging help provide food like when jesus would go into a town he would be staying with people it was very uh like what's the word i don't know it was very stripped down and meeting like
1: Uh physical needs not necessarily like giving money
0: yeah it was it was more than you know they didn't have checking accounts they weren't (laughs) like okay how much money is in the savings can we like put this on the card no it was like we, we go into a village and our needs are met that's like the set, like when Jesus sends out um, the seventy, and he's like, "Okay, you guys go do ministry. Don't take a purse. Don't take a <laughs> purse with you." It that's because the culture was just different. Like people's needs were met through hospitality. Like strangers were hospitable yeah. to strangers, just in that in that context. So we can read that and be like, "How did they sleep somewhere?" Like Jesus knew that they were going to be taken care of when they went into a village and said, "Hey, we're here." We have the, like, you know, we're here to teach. People would have gathered to listen and Mm -hmm. things would have been met met that way. So just to talk about like, that's how Jesus was doing it. He was going from village to village with his band of disciples that he was discipling. They were sitting at his his feet wherever he went, but then he would go into these different regions and be hosted and be cared for by, you know, leaders in that village or just people in that village that were ready to receive his teaching. And um, yeah, so... Yeah, he would travel around the Galilee and do that stuff. And then once we get into Acts,
1: like, what do we see, like, Peter and Paul and Barnabas and, like, the apostles start to do? I gotta think. <laughs> the first thing I think about is how, like, people started, like, selling possessions and laying them at the apostles' feet. Right? So there there definitely was, like, some collecting of money. Like, it says that Barnabas sold an entire... Uh, piece of land and brought it to the apostles feet which led Ananias and Sapphira to sell theirs too and say they brought it all when they didn't really
0: yeah there was a real reorg happening in that like Pentecost those opening chapters of Acts are crazy (laughs) like Mm -hmm. just if you read them at face value um, or you know if you're not when you really step back you're like wow the spirit was just poured out I think you can sense the apostles are kind of like what do we do (laughs) Like people are selling their stuff. Um, So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there is this influx of money and property and wealth. And they're like, okay, how do we and I would note that what is that money used for? It's to make sure that people's needs are met. Like in the in the early well in the early church, um, the primary way that the biggest budget line item was not you know, our salaries, but it was caring, it was caring for people. It was like, it was caring for the poor. It was caring for the needs of the congregation. It was that like, it wasn't to bankroll, you know, Peter and John and like to get everybody, you know, on paid salary with benefits. It was to care for the needs of their, their community.
1: They were selling property as any had need. We see like there's a distribution of food that they're doing to widows and to vulnerable people that were in need.
2: The other cost that I, I see too when you read scripture, you have transportation costs, right? So <laughs> Paul is getting on a boat, right? That costs a lot of money, um, and then even the cost of uh, owning scrolls, yeah, uh, hmm. for those churches. Um, I heard it one time, like the equivalent of owning the book of the scroll of Isaiah in today's money would be around forty thousand dollars.
1: What? Yeah.
2: To get it hand copied. I mean, Isaiah is a really big book.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: And so, you know, you even see Luke X, you know, uh, Luke's hired by Theophilus to write this mm. all down. Um, yeah. And so some of it was privately funded, right? Theophilus paid Luke to transcribe this. Um, and then you see Paul, and we're probably getting to this point, I assume, Paul making tents, right? He, he had times where he was in the marketplace in Ephesus making or repairing or selling tents, right? We know that he was in the marketplace there for like two years, but then there was also times where, um, they were generous benefactors who gave to his need in order so that he could go and do his missionary journeys, right? Yeah. He talks in some of his letters, thanking various church leaders and churches for giving, um to the need of his transportation and so there were times where he was fundraising right people were giving yeah. him funds to go on his for missionary sure. journeys there was times where he was set up in the marketplace the other one i wanted to add too is you have you know you got to remember it started out of a jewish movement right it was a jewish sect and mm-hmm. there was a certain expectation for the priests that they would be given money Right? They would be given, they, because they couldn't own land, right? The the Levitical priests weren't given a plot of land when the, the promised land was given. And so they were given food. They were given a portion of the city to live in. They were given a, 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 a chunk of things to be taken care of because they could not work the fields. They couldn't be farmers. They couldn't be craftsmen because they were doing the the ministry of people. You know, killing bulls and things like that, and so <clears throat> in some ways that would have continued in a way in the culture of the early church. Um, of there's this set set expectation of the tithe to go to that representative priest, things like that. The most likely thing throughout history is your average pastor was probably a farmer, and then they may have gotten a little bit of money from the church to just help, like probably with like transportation needs, things like that. But most, especially today, in not in the majority world, your pastors are dual vocation, right? And for the longest time, most clergy were farmers, but that's because everyone was a farmer back in the day. Yeah, um, you,
1: you grew your food.
2: Yep. Yep. You know, there's that, there's the problem of like, it does take a decent bit of bandwidth to effectively manage and lead a group of people, right? If you're trying to help people grow in their faith, if you're trying to establish systems for them to do that, it, it takes time to do that, right? And so the question is, to me, it's like, how where I think to me, we're almost needed to have the question of what does the church need to look like? And if we do want smaller churches or, you know, whatever, do we still kick some money to someone because like they're, they're not going to be able to work as many hours in their normal job because they're doing certain work of the church. Cause the problem is there is work that needs done. That's going to take away from their time to to do their normal job. So let's say you're a, you're a craftsman, right? You make shoes or something like that, but you're also the pastor of a church of a hundred people. Okay. Whenever you're not repairing shoes by going and visiting the poor or by, um, you know, preparing a message or helping check in with your leaders in the church, that's time that you're not repairing shoes. And so the question is, you know, if there is a, a, a call to have a certain level of leadership in the church, how do you accommodate someone's time, and talent, and treasures, and yet and let them have sufficient means to to live? Right, that's the question for me. Because I think I think there is that that problem I face. You know, when people said, "Well, that's not my job. I'm, you're the youth pastor," and so to me, it's a really difficult balance to find. Thoughts? Yeah.
1: Where I used to work at the nonprofit, like, our operations director would always say, like, yes, our salaries are our biggest budget line, but what do you want to be the biggest budget line in ministry? Do you, like, you could buy a bunch of pencils, but if you have a bunch of pencils on a park bench, you do not have a ministry. But if you pay a bunch of amazing people to go to a park bench, you have a ministry. You know? And I would even get frustrated there when people were part-time because they weren't able to focus like entirely on the task of ministry because they were trying to do their other job and they didn't have the flexibility and they didn't have the time to like invest in youth. Like I had as a full-time staff member and I was like full-time only we can't have part-time staff members because they don't have enough time. And so it's kind of funny that I'm like now on this other side of like, maybe no one should be paid, but like, Uh, I found this article about Paul's tent making because, you know, you brought that up and I, we always talk about it, but I'm like, where in the Bible is this Paul's tent making, you know? But uh, um, in Acts, he talks about how um, he worked hard to help the weak and to show them like how they can also work hard to help the weak remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so, uh this uh writer says, Paul's done engaging in ten making as a necessity so he can do the real job of preaching. Paul is doing that work in the marketplace, in his sewing, in the lecture hall, in the prison. All of it is his witness. All of it's his testimony. And so, like, I think that it really is good when like the pastors are modeling that for the people that like our work is worship, you know, and that our workplace is the place where we engage nonbelievers. It is the place where we engage the culture, where we are contributing to society and to our community. And I think that oftentimes when we become full-time pastors, we often get less and less engagement with the community because we get more and more engagement with maintaining structures inside a church building. Yeah. It's like the mission goes down because the church ministry goes up, you know? And so, like, if we are focused on the right things about mission, about discipleship, yeah, I would love to, like, sponsor these people, encourage them, keep going, because being full-time just on the right things is so good. But when you're full-time, you have to have HR. You have to have policies. You, like, have to do, like, reporting. You have to do... Like admin work, and oftentimes, like those tasks end up taking you away from the true uh, vine work of discipleship mission. There's this book called The Trellis and the Vine, and it talks about how Christian ministry is vine work. It is caring for people. It is helping people grow closer to God and become mature disciples who make more disciples. But vines have to grow on a trellis. A trellis is like a wooden structure that vines grow on. If vines grow on the ground, grapes would be gross. They would not develop, (laughs) right? You have to have a trellis so the vine is in the air. And so they said that like things like church budgets, things like pastors, things like buildings, things like programs or events like Wednesday night or even Sunday morning worship are all trellis. They all are there to support the work of developing multiplying disciples who love Jesus with more of their lives. And so their issue with us in the Western church and their call (laughs) to us as pastors from Australia, who I'm sure are full time is we have to spend our time on the vine work on the people and not on the trellis. The issue is we get so focused on like trying to maintain that trellis because we build a bigger building so we can fit more people, but then the bigger building costs more money. And when it costs more money, we need to uh, get a bigger budget. You know, and so we need to do a giving campaign or we need to do uh writing yeah. grants. All these things start taking us away from the point in the first place, which was the people.
0: Yeah. Cause once Yeah, just and just to add that note, like once money like that starts to be getting involved, you start have to you start having you have to produce some results generally you have to you have to answer to the money that is coming like if we are giving i would say the the to use that language like the vine work isn't always quantifiable like to to sow the seeds of the gospel like i mean i do this at my job now sometimes where i'm like i talk about my day and i'm like if i just told you what i did today you'd be like it sounds like you didn't really do anything and i'm like no that's because like When you're working with people, those moments, like moments matter. And just because Mm. I'm not entering numbers into a spreadsheet or like, you know, doing some measurable output thing doesn't mean that I'm not doing work that is impacting someone's heart and someone's life. And that's really hard to quantify if you're like, you know, hey, we gave you $100,000 towards this thing what are the results and you're like well we did good people work (laughs) it's like well what you know what i mean um just the the language changes once you start getting that much money and that much funding um behind behind those things
2: this seems like a staircase to nowhere kind of day
1: (laughs) because we don't have the solution
2: So staircase us to somewhere. <laughs> I guess here I'll, I'll start because this is, I think, for me, where I've felt like I've landed. So the Ferguson brothers talked about co-vocational instead of using bi-vocational. And Noah kind of hit that. The idea being, wherever you are, can be your pulpit. I've yeah. told the people in my congregation, you know, the dump truck you drive is your pulpit, right? Yeah. The... The way you cut people's hair is your pulpit. And so, and I've talked about this before. You know, when I've been full-time in ministry, I never see non-Christians, right? Mm. And so, to me, if you really care about your job, it might be good to have, like, it might be good to have a job where you have to have two jobs so then you get a chance to spend time with non-Christians. I think the worst thing, at least for me, was going straight from college to seminary to ministry because Mm -hmm. it didn't give me a chance to see the real world and see the pain that people go through, see the the despair that people have. And so I would encourage, you know, being full-time, not full-time in ministry, I don't care. But I do highly encourage anyone who feels like called to ministry, go spend a year working in the normal place, working in the marketplace. One, yeah. so you can see what your parishioners are going through; two, so you can build up a social network of people; and three, so you can begin your ministry there. Uh, so that's my encouragement: is co-vocational.
0: Woo! That I like that. I probably will end with a thought, just a question. Like Noah, you you mentioned your old boss said this, and now I've just been stuck on it. Like, well, what do we want our biggest line item to be on our budget? I'm kind of like, yeah, what do we want our biggest line item to be? Like if we could just say, and my uh um (laughs) my liberal is showing a little bit. (laughs) Oh no. (laughs) Where I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be an amazing thing if our biggest line item was just benevolence or just like Mm -hmm. charity? Like if the biggest thing that the church did with their budget was give money to those who need, or like give things away to people that needed it. Um, yeah. Cause I can just speak from my own, like in the, what I do now, how much, if every church in my city in Louisville said, you know, we're going to give 10% of our money to solving the housing crisis in our city. We would solve it pretty quick. Like that might, you know, I'm just guessing, but you know, if 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 we as the capital C church, like as we as the whole church just said, you know what, we're just going to really aggressively give our money, get, give our money away to help solve, you know, some of the social issues that we're seeing that, that we face in our own communities, then I just see how far that could go. And that's where I like we're having this conversation because I'm like, is it really worth for me who feels called to ministry? Like is it worth the entity of the church putting me on payroll for thousands of dollars a year? Like is that worth it or is, it, is there other better ways to spend that money? And I don't know. I'm still in the middle of figuring that conversation out. But yeah, I just like this idea of what do we want our biggest line item to be good if question. we could really decide. Do we want it to be big salaries and insurance or our mortgage or whatever as, as a body? Or would we want it to be something else? So,
1: Right. And in the New Testament, it's giving to the needs of those in the church. And it's well, giving yeah, to the needs the of the poor. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think I heard an amazing podcast uh, from...
2: Called Staircase to Nowhere.
1: And now shout <laughs> out! Uh, from a leader in Tampa Underground, which is a network of uh, church plants church house, house churches that is all just (laughs) disciple making movement in Tampa. And so you've got a group of people that agree that we are going to, the phrase they always use is own the lostness in our community and take Mm -hmm. responsibility for our neighbors and seeing them come to faith in Christ. And none of them are doing it full time. They're just agreeing to do it together. And so there's a guy who is managing this and he doesn't actually take a salary from the church. Um, but through a separate nonprofit, And what he talked about is just the amount of wealth that the church has in the West. And he said, yeah. what if we saw the church as a global system? That w- in God's eyes when he sees his church, he sees that there's more than enough resource for all the believers Oof. around the world. And yet here in the West, we're using it to buy an Buy a bigger building, a fog machine, lights, so we can really wow our guests on Easter who are going to go home and not be confronted with, the, mm. like, the call to discipleship. And the church around the world needs it. And he's he, like, truly believes that, like, we will be judged for not giving what we have received for the church that needs it. <sighs> and... Mm like those churches around the world is where the gospel spreading like wildfire. Exactly. The global church, the global South of Latin America, Asia, Africa, that's where the gospel is spreading and people are receiving the gospel and like forming communities in their homes. And like, meanwhile here, we try to lure them in somehow, you know, and don't see the change happen. (laughs) So, I don't know. I As long as I am actually living it out, you know? Mm -hmm. As long as I don't say, like, I'm going to do some other job because I believe that I shouldn't be paid as a pastor, and then I end up not doing the work of pastoral ministry, you know? I end up not discipling people, not teaching the Word, not being about God's mission, not training others to do the same. Like, that would be a disaster, (laughs) Cause I do believe that's what God's called me to do, but I want God's resources to be used for God's mission, you know? And I don't necessarily need to always be paid by the church Mm -hmm. in order to do the work. (laughs) Cause that's like, I'm doing it for the love of it. Mm. And Sam, when we were looking at old photos from high school of the way that we were Serving in full-time ministry as high school kids. It was just so encouraging. Like, we did neighborhood outreach. We were discipling younger guys in the youth group. We were leading um, in the youth ministry, like, gatherings. And we just did it because we loved it. Yeah. And we did it because we had opportunity and people raised us up and empowered us and gave us responsibility. Uh, too much.
0: <laughs> A little no. too much at times. Time.
1: <laughs> and that's when we both knew we wanted to do that for our whole lives. And I think that when it became full-time and it became our jobs, it got a lot harder. (laughs) Um, But like that love is still there and wanting to do that work because we saw Jesus work and we saw him move on mission trips and we saw him move among our team and we saw him move in our community.
2: Guys, this was a a good, tough conversation Um, coming from someone who is... Co-vocational to uh, figuring out what to do next. Um, my hope for all of us, though, is that just like Noah and Sam both said, like it, we do it for the love of it, um, and and to continue to raise people up and to equip other people for the ministry. And so I'm excited for this conversation, and I'm and I'm thankful to be able to talk about this. And so with that, uh, if you guys have any thoughts or questions, uh, you listeners at home. We'd love for you to engage with this conversation. Um, do you think clergy should be full-time? Do you think we should pay clergy at all? What should be a church's biggest line item? Um, these, are, these are the questions we need to have. And so please, let us know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, and if you, again, like we said at the beginning of the show, if you have any subjects you'd love us to cover, please let us know. Uh, most importantly, be looking for our swag that's
1: coming out. <laughs> and your wedding invitation... Because these pastors aren't getting paid, people.
0: Yeah, we gotta monetize.
2: <laughs> but with that, I was David. This is Noah and Sam, and you were listening to Staircase. Bye
1: bye. See you guys. I'm an engaged man. I'm engaged to be wed.